0: Welcome to the show, everybody. This is your boy, Lo Jackson, coming to you live with the Only You Podcast. Today, I'm going to be reading a book called How to Live Your Life in a 24-Hour Day by Arnold Bennett. Arnold uh, was born into a modest family. Actually, let me back up for a second. His name's actually Enoch Arnold Bennett, but I believe is a novelist he went only by Arnold Bennett, yeah. Um, Enoch is a biblical figure, patriarch, prior to Noah's flood. And he was the son of Jared and the father of Methuselah. I didn't know if you guys knew this, but Methuselah, I think, yeah. Methuselah was actually mentioned in the Bible and in the Quran and Islam. I find that to be pretty cool. There's a lot, you know, that coincides with uh, the Quran and um, Christianity, or I should say Islam and Christianity, you know, because of um, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was promised a re- a religion or a following of, um, like, the number was, like, the that numbered the stars, I believe it was. I can't think of the exact uh, um, number, but I I will say that Methuselah actually lived the longest in the Bible. He lived to be 969 in Genesis, and Enoch only lived to be 365, but I want to tell you more about Enoch Arnold Bennett, the writer of the book that we're going to be talking about in a little bit, How to Live on a 24-Hour Day. It's a rainy day out today. Here in Illinois, it's blowing wind hard and cold. They say we've been needing it though. Um, Arnold Bennett was born on the 27th of May, 1867. He was an English author, best known as a novelist. Um, born into a modest family, but upwardly mobile family in Hanley and Stanfordshire Potteries, that's in uh, England. Bennett was intended by his father, a solicitor, to follow him into legal profession. Bennett worked for his father before moving to another law firm in London as a clerk. At age twenty-one, he became an assistant editor and then editor of a woman's magazine. That's pretty awesome, right? Um, Thank you guys for listening. This is the only you podcast, and. Today I am reading to you a really good read that I came across called How to Live on a 24-hour, excuse me, it says How to Live on 24 Hours a Day, and the author is Arnold Bennett. I think uh, he was the eldest child of the three sons and three daughters of Enoch Bennett, cool his dad was named enoch too it's kind of interesting chapter one the daily miracle yes he's one of those men that don't know how to manage good situation regular income quite enough for luxuries as well as needs not really extravagant and yet the fellow's always in difficulties Somehow he gets nothing out of his money. Excellent, flat, half empty. Always looks as if he'd had the brokers in. New suit, old hat. Magnificent necktie, baggy trousers. Ask you to dinner. Cut glass, bad mutton, or Turkish coffee, cracked cup. He can't stand it. Explanation simply is that he fritters his income away. Wish I had half of it. I'd show him. So we have most of us criticized at one time one another in our superior way. We are nearly all chancellors of the extra queer. It is the pride of the moment. Newspapers are full of the articles explaining how to live on such and such a sum. These articles prove a Correspondents whose violence proves the interest they excite. Recently in a daily organ I battled raged around the question whether a woman can exist nicely in the country on eight year Oh on eighty five dollars a year, excuse me. I have seen an essay how to live on eight shillings a week, but I have never seen an essay how to live on 24 hours a day, yet it has been said that time is money. That proverb understates the case. Time is a great deal more than money. If you have time, you can obtain money usually, but though you have the wealth of a cloaked room attendant at the Carlton Hotel, You cannot buy yourself a minute more time than I have, or the cat by the fire has. Philosophers have explained space. They have not explained time. It is the inexplicable, raw material of everything. With it, all is possible. Without it, nothing. The supply of time is truly a daily miracle, and a fair genuinely... Astonishing when one examines it, you wake up in the morning, and lo, your pursuit is magically filled with twenty-four hours of the unmanufactured tissue of the universe of your life. It is yours. It is the most precious possession, a highly singular commodity showered upon you in a manner as singular as the commodity itself. For remark, no one can take it from you. It is unstealable, and no one receives either more or less than you receive. Talk about an ideal democracy. In the realm of time, there is no aristocracy of wealth and no aristocracy of intellect. Genius is never rewarded by even an extra hour in a day and there is no punishment waste your infinitely precious commodity as much as you will and the supply will never be withheld from you no mysterious power will say this man is a fool if not a knave he does not deserve time he shall be cut off at the meter it is more certain than counsels and payment of income is not affected by sundays moreover you cannot draw on the future impossible to get into debt you can only waste the passing moment you cannot waste tomorrow it is kept for you you cannot waste the next hour it is kept for you I said the affair was a miracle is it not you have to live on this 24 hours of daily time out of it You have to spend wealth, pleasure, money, content, respect, and the evolution of your immortal soul. Its right use, its most effective use, is a matter of the highest urgency and of the most thrilling actuality. All depends on that. Your happiness, the elusive prize that you are all clutching for, my friends depends on that. Strange that the newspapers so enterprising and up-to-date as they are are not full of how to live on a given income of time instead of how to live on a given income of money. Money is far commoner than time. When one reflects, one perceives that money is just about the commonest thing there is it encumbers the earth in gross heaps if one can't contrive to live on a certain income of money one earns a little more or steals it or advertises for it go fund me I'm just kidding that wasn't in the book (laughs) one doesn't necessarily muddle one's life because One can't quite manage on a thousand pounds a year. One braces the muscles and makes it genuine and balances the budget. But if one cannot arrange that an income of 24 hours a day shall exactly cover all proper items of expenditure, one does muddle one's life definitely. The supply of time through glorious regular is cruelly restricted. Which of us lives on 24 hours a day? And when I say lives, I do not mean exists, nor muddles through. Which of us is free from the uneasy feeling that the great spending departments of his daily life are not managed as they ought to be? Which of us is quite sure that his fine suit is not surmounted by a shameful hat, or that in attending to crockery he has forgotten the quality of food. Which of us is not saying to himself? Which of us has not been saying to himself all his life? I shall alter that when I have a little more time. We never shall have any more time. We have, and we have always had, all the time there is. It is the realization of this profound and neglected truth, which by the way I have not discovered, that has led me to the minute practical examination of daily time expenditure. How to live on 24 hours a day. The the desire to exceed one's program. But someone may remark with fine English disregard of everything except the point. What is he driving at with his 24 hours a day? I have no difficulty in living on 24 hours a day. I do all that I want to do. I still find time to, to go in for newspaper competitions. Surely, it is a similar affair, knowing that one has only 24 hours a day to content oneself with 24 hours a day. To you, my dear sir, I present my excuses and apologies. You are precisely the man that I have been wishing to meet for about 40 years. Will you kindly send me your name and address and state your charge for telling me how you do it. Instead of me talking to you, you ought to be talking to me. Please come forward. That you exist, I am convinced, and that I have not yet encountered you in my loss. Meanwhile, until you appear, I will continue to chat with my companions and discuss In distress, that innumerable band of souls who are haunted more or less painfully by the feeling that the years slip by and slip by and slip by, and that they have not yet been able to get their lives into proper working order. If we analyze that feeling, we shall perceive it to be primarily one of the uneasiest of expectation of looking forward of aspiration. It is a source of constant discomfort for it behaves like a skeleton at the feast of all our enjoyments. We go to the theater and laugh but between the acts it raises a skinny finger at us. That's so crazy it always happens to me at the theater too. We rush violently for the last train, and while we are cooling a long age on the platform, waiting for the last train, it promenades its bone up and down by our side and inquires, O man, what hast thou done with thy youth? What art thou doing with thine age? You may urge that this feeling of continuous Looking forward of aspiration as part of life itself, and inseparable from life itself. True, but there are degrees. A man may desire to go to Mecca. His conscience tells him that he ought to go to Mecca. He fares forth, either by the aid of cooks or unassisted, he may probably never reach Mecca. He may, dr- he may drown before he gets to port said. He may perish ingloriously on the coast of the Red Sea. His desire may remain eternally frustrated. Unfulfilled aspirations may always, always, always trouble him. But he will not be tormented by... In the same way as the man who desired to reach Mecca and harried by the desire to reach Mecca never leaves Brixton I just want to stop right here for a minute and say that Mecca is the holy um, it's a city in Saudi Arabia for one but Mecca is the holiest city of Islam, and Mecca is where the prophet Muhammad was born. I just thought I would say that in case my audience members didn't know that. Thank you guys for listening to the only you podcasts. It is something to have left Brixton. Most of us have not left Brixton. We have not even taken a cab to Legate Circus and inquired from Cook's The Price of Conduct Tour. And excuse to ourselves is that there are only 24 hours in a day. If we further analyze our vague uneasiest aspirations we shall I think see that it springs from a fixed idea that we ought to do something in addition to those things which we are loyally and morally obligated to do we are obligated by various codes written and unwritten to maintain ourselves and our families if any in health and comfort to pay our debts to save To increase our prosperity by increasing our efficiency. A task sufficiently difficult. A task which very few of us achieve. A task often beyond our skill. Yet, if we succeed in it, as we sometimes do, we are not satisfied. The skeleton is still with us and even when we realize that the task is beyond our skill and our power cannot cope with it we feel we should be less discontent if we gave our powers excuse me if we gave to our powers already overtaxed something still further to do and such is indeed the fact the wish to accomplish something outside their formal program is common to all men who in the course of evolution have risen past a certain level until an effort is made to satisfy that wish the sense of uneasy waiting for something to start which has not started will remain to disturb the peace of the soul and I know many many of you are suffering from that too as do I at times that wish has been called by many names it is one form of the universal desire for knowledge. And it is so strong that men whose whole lives have been given to the systematic acquirement of knowledge have been driven by it to overstep the limits of their program in search of still more knowledge. Even Herbert Spencer, in my opinion, the greatest mind that ever lived, was often forced by it into agreeable little backwaters of inquiry I imagine that in the majority of people who are conscious of the wish to live that that is to say people who have intellectual curiosity the aspiration to exceed formal program takes a little literary shape they would like to embark on a course of reading I agree, and that's why I'm doing this podcast, and that's why I wanted to share this book today. Decidingly, that British people or American people are becoming more and more literary. But I would point out that literature by no means compromises the whole field of knowledge or learning, and that education and that the disturbing thirst to improve oneself, to increase one's knowledge, may well be slacked quite apart from literature. With the various ways of slacking, I shall deal la- late with later. Here I merely point out to those who have no natural sympathy with literature that literature is not the only way and not the only well to be drawn from precautious before beginning now that i have succeeded if succeeded i have him persuading you to admit to yourself that you are constantly haunted by a suppressed dissatisfaction with your own arrangement of your daily life and that the primal cause of that inconvenient Dissatisfaction is the feeling that you are every day leaving undone something which you would like to do and which indeed you are always hoping to do when you have more time. And now that <clears throat> I have drawn your attention to the glaring dazzling truth that you never will have more time since you already have all the time there is you expect me to let you into some wonderful secret by which you may at any rate approach the ideal of a perfect arrangement of the day, and by which, therefore, that haunting, unpleasant, daily disappointment of things left undone will be got rid of. And I do want to say, you guys, that I also have a subscription with many, many more episodes if you would like to subscribe it's 49 cents a month, and you can have tons more episodes to listen to if you'd like to. I have found no such wonderful secret, nor do I expect to find it, nor do I expect that anyone else will ever find it. It is undiscovered. When you first began to gather my drift, perhaps there was a resurrection of hope in your breast. Perhaps you said to yourself This man will show me an essay Unfatiguing way Of doing what I have so long In vain wished to do At last No The fact is that there is no easy way No royal road The path to Mecca Is extremely hard And stony And the worst of it is That you never quite get there After all The most important preliminary to the task of arranging one's life so that one may live fully and comfortably within one's daily budget of 24 hours is the calming realization of the extreme difficulty of the task of the sacrifices and the endless effort which it demands. I cannot too strongly insist on this. If you imagine that you will be able to achieve your ideal but ingeniously planning out a timetable with a pen on a piece of paper, like I always say in all my other podcasts, and I tell my kids this too, only stupid people write stuff down because then they never forget. You had better give up hope at once. If you are not prepared for discouragements, and disillusions, if you will not be content with a small result for a big effort, then do not begin. Lie down again and resume the essay, Doze, which you call your existence. It is very sad, is it not? Very depressing and sombre. Yet, or so sombering, sorry, and yet. I think it is rather fine too, this necessity for the tense bracing of the will before anything worth doing can be done, I rather like it myself. I feel it to be the chief thing that differentiates me from the cat by the fire. Huh, don't that make sense? Well. You say, assume that I am braced for the battle. Assume that I have carefully weighed and comprehended your ponderous remarks. How do I begin? Dear sir, you simply begin. There is no magic method of beginning. And that's the truth about anything. You just have to force yourself sometimes. And most of us know that. It just takes the mental forcing our bodies to do it. If a man standing on the edge of a swimming pool is wanting to jump into the cold water should ask you, how do I begin to jump? You would merely reply, just jump. Take hold of your nerves and jump. As I have previously said, the chief beauty about the constant supply of time is that you cannot waste it in advance the next year the next year the next hour are lying ready for you as perfect as unspoiled as if you had never wasted or misapplied a single moment in your whole freaking career which fact is very gratifying and reassuring You can turn over a new leaf every hour if you choose. Therefore, no object is served and waiting till next week or even until tomorrow. You may fancy that the water will be warmer next week. It won't. It will be colder. But before you begin, let me murmur a few words of warning into your private ear. Let me principally warn you against your own endeavor. Endeavor is well-doing, is a misleading and a a treacherous thing. It cries out loudly for employment. You can't satisfy it at first. It wants more and more. It is eager to move mountains and divert the course of rivers. It isn't content till it perspires. And then, too often, when it feels the perspiration on its brow it wearies all of a sudden withers up and dies without even putting itself to the trouble of saying I've had enough of this beware of undertaking too much at the start be content with quite a little allow for accidents allow for human nature especially your own a failure or so in itself would not matter if it did not incur a loss of self-esteem and of self-confidence but remember you guys when you fail and you get back up off the ground and you dust yourself off and get going again you then have then that failure is not called a failure anymore it's called experience. You have now experienced failure. And you will not allow that to happen again because most minds learn from failing. I recently asked somebody I worked with that was, you know, actually giving me some training, you know, could you please tell me your greatest failure once you took over this situation? And his ego jumped out of his chest. And, um,. I didn't really know how to respond because I was kind, I was open, I was I was really trying to um, be taught and led, but you know some people just don't understand their own um, body language. I think, but just as nothing succeeds like success, so nothing fails like failure. Most people who are ruined are ruined by attempting too much. Therefore and setting out on the immense enterprise of living fully and comfortably within the narrow limits of 24 hours in a day, let us avoid at any cost the risk of an early failure. I will not agree that in this business at any rate, a glorious failure is better than petty success. I am all for the petty success. and yeah, that's true too, because you know, a success is way better than a failure, even if it's petty. A glorious failure leads to nothing. A petty success may lead to a success that is not petty. So let us begin to examine the budget of the day's time. You say your day is already full to overflowing. I say how? You actually spend and earning your livelihood how much? Seven hours on the average? And an actual sleep, seven? I will add two hours and be generous. I will defy you to account to me on the spur of the moment for the other eight hours. In order to come to grips at once with the question of time expenditure and all its actualities, I must choose an individual case for examination. I can only deal with one case that case cannot be the average case because there is no such case as the average case just as there is no such man as the average man every man and every man's case is special but if I take the case of a Londoner who works in an office whose office hours are from 10 to 6 and who spends 50 minute morning and night and traveling between his house door and his office door I shall have got as near to the average as facts permit there are men who have to work longer for a living but there are others who do not have to work so long fortunately the financial side of existence does not interest us here for our present purpose the clerk at a pound a week is exactly as well off as the millionaire at the Ritz-Carlton. Now, the great and profound mistake which my typical man makes in regard to his day is a mistake of general attitude, a mistake which weakens two-thirds of his energies and interests. In the majority of instances. He does not precisely feel a passion for his business. At best, he does not dislike it. He begins his business functions with reluctance, as late as he can, and he ends them with joy, as early as he can. And his engines, while he is engaged in his business, are seldom at their full. I know that I shall be accused by angry readers of traducing the city worker, but I am pretty thoroughly acquainted with the city, and I stick to what I say. And most of us do in all of our cities, too. (laughs) We all have our own opinions about our cities. Yet, in spite of all this, he persists in looking upon those hours from ten to six as the day to which the ten hour, hours preceding them and the six hours following them are nothing but a prologue and an epilogue. Such an attitude, unconscious though it be, of course kills his interest in the odd sixteen hours with the result that even if he does not waste them, He does not count them. He regards them simply as margin. The general attitude is utterly illogical and unhealthy since it formally gives the central prominence to a patch of time and a bunch of activities which the man's one idea is to get through and have done with. If a man makes two-thirds of his existence subservient, to one-third, for which, admittingly, he has no absolutely feverish zest, how can he hope to live fully and completely? He cannot. If my typical man wishes to live fully and completely, he must in his mind arrange a day within a day. And this inner day, a Chinese box in a larger Chinese box must begin... At 6 p.m. and end at 10 a.m. it is a day of 16 hours and during all these 16 hours he has nothing what whatsoever to do but cultivate his body and his soul and his fellow men during those 16 hours he is free he is not wait he is not a wage earner he is not preoccupied by monetary cares He is just as good as a man with a private income. This must be his attitude. And his attitude is all important. His success in life, much more important than the amount of of estate upon what his executors will have to pay estate duty depends on it. What? You say that full energy given to... Those 16 hours will lessen the value of the business eight? Not so. On the contrary, it will assuredly increase the value of the business eight. One of the chief things which my typical man has to learn is that the mental faculties are capable of a continuous hard activity. They do not tire like an arm or a leg all they want is change not rest except in sleep and I do believe that all they want is change not rest except and sleep and I think that in America and other parts of the world I think that you know because we all go to work and come home that There's people out there that have like started this mental thing where they're like, just because you only slept three or four hours, it means you're going to have a bad day right off the bat. No, that's a choice that you're making mentally. You just don't know it because it's been pretty much bred in you because that's how your upbringing was of someone or somebody you looked up to or somebody that was, you know, uh, raising you pretty much um thank you for listening to the only you podcast it's your boy lo jackson and this is the book how to live on a 24-hour day by arnold bennett thank you guys for listening thank you for following me and i want to say that i'm offering a subscription now for my podcast if you'd like to um hear more of my books and there are some awesome ones in there trust me i'm going to add to it every month i shall now examine the typical man's current method of employing the sixteen hours that are entirely his, beginning with his uprising. I will merely indicate things which he does and which I think he ought not to do, postponing my suggestions for planting the times which I shall have cleared as a settler clears spaces in a forest. In justice to him, I must say that he wastes very little time before he leaves the house in the morning at nine or ten. In too many houses he get he gets up at nine, breakfast between nine and seven or nine eight and nine, and then bolts. But immediately he bangs the front door, his mental fresalities, which are tireless become idle. He walks to the station in a condition of mental coma. Arrived there, he usually has to wait for the train. On hundreds of suburban stations every morning, you see men calmly strolling up and down platforms while rail companies unblushingly rob them of time, which is more than money. Hundreds of thousands of hours are thus lost every day simply because my typical man thinks so little of time that it has never occurred to him to take quite easy precautions against the risk of losing it. He has a solid coin of time to spend every day. Call it a sovereign. He must get change for it. And in getting change, he is content to lose heavily. Supposing that in selling him a ticket, the company said, We will charge you a sovereign, but we shall charge you three half pence for doing so. What would my typical man exclaim? Yet that is the equivalent of what the company does when it robs him of five minutes twice a day. You say I am dealing with minutes. I am. And later on I and later on I will justify myself. Now, will you kindly buy the your paper and step into the train. Tennis and the immortal soul. You get into the morning train with your newspaper you calmly and majestically give yourself up to your newspaper. You do not hurry. You know you have at least half an hour of security in front of you. As your glance lingers idly at the advertisements of shipping and of song on the outer pages, your air is the air of a leisured man, wealthy in time, of a man from some planet where there are a hundred and twenty hours in a day instead of twenty-four. I am an impassionated reader of newspapers. I read five English and two French dailies and the news agents alone know how many weekly re- weeklies I am regular. I am obligated to mention this personal fact least I should be accused of prejudice against newspapers when I say that I object to the reading of newspapers in the morning tra- on the morning train. Newspapers are produced with rapidi- rapidity to be read with rapidness. There is no place in my daily program for newspapers. I read them as I may in odd moments, but I do read them. The idea of devoting to them 30 or 40 consecutive minutes of wonderful solitude for nowhere can one more perfectly immense oneself and oneself that is in a compartment full of silent, withdrawn, smoking males is to me repugnant. I cannot possibly allow you To scatter priceless pearls of time with such oriental lavishness. You are not the Shah of Time. S-H-A-H. Let me respectfully remind you that you have no more time than I have. Newspaper reading in trains, I have already put by about three quarters of an hour for use. Now you reach your office, and I abandon you there till six o'clock. I am aware that you have nominally an hour, often in reality an hour and a half, in the midst of the day, less than half of what time is given to eating, but I will leave you all that to spend as you choose. You may read your newspaper then. I meet you again as you emerge from your office. You are pale and tired. At any rate, your wife says you are pale. And you give her to understand that you are tired. During the journey home, you have been gradually working up the tired feeling. The tired feeling hangs heavy over the mighty suburbs of London like a virtue and melancholy cloud, particularly in winter. You don't eat immediately on your arrival home, but in about an hour or so, you feel as if you could sit up and take a little nourishment, and you do, then you smoke, seriously. You see friends, you potter, you play cards, you flirt with a book. You note that old age is creeping on. You take a stroll. You caress the piano. By Jove, a quarter past eleven. Time to think about going to bed. You then devote thir- quite—excuse me—you then devote quite forty minutes to thinking about going to bed, and it is conceivable that you are acquainted with a genuinely good whiskey. At last, you go to bed exhausted by the day's work. Six hours, probably more, have gone since you left the office gone like a dream, gone like magic, unaccountable. Gone that is a fair, simple case. But you say it's all very well for you to talk. A man is tired, a man. Must see his friends. He can't always be on the stretch. Just so. But when you arrange to go to the theater, especially with a pretty woman, what happens? You rush to the suburbs. <laughs> you spare no toil to make yourself glorious and fine. You rush back to town. And another train. You keep yourself on a stretch for four hours, if not five. You take her home. You take yourself home. You don't spend three quarters of an hour in thinking about going to bed. You go. Friends and fatigue have equally been forgotten. And the evening has seemed to exquisitely, excuse me, the evening has seemed so exquisitely long. Or perhaps too short. And do you remember that time when you were persuaded to sing in the chorus of the amateur operatic society, or that song on the radio, and slave two hours every other night for three months? <laughs> Can you deny that when you have something definite to look forward to at evening tide, something that is to employ all? Your energy, the thought of that something gives a glow and a more intense vitality to the whole day. What I suggest is that at 6 o'clock you look facts in the face and admit that you are not tired, because you are not, you know that, and that you arrange your evening so that it is not cut in the middle of by a meal, By so doing, you will have clear expanse of at least three hours. I do not suggest that you should employ three hours every night of your life to using up your mental energy, but I do suggest that you might, for a a little bit anyways, to employ an hour and a half hour every other evening and some important and consecutive cultivation of the mind. You will... Still be left with three evenings for friends, bridge, tennis, the movies, domestic scenes, odd readings, pipes, gardening, potting, and prize competitions. (laughs) You will still have the terrific wealth of forty hours between excuse me. Yes, forty four hours between two PM Saturday and ten AM Monday. If you preserve you will soon want to pass four evenings and perhaps five, and some sustained endeavor to be genuinely alive. And you will fall out of that habit of muttering to yourself at 11.15 p.m., time to be thinking about going to bed. The man who begins to go to bed 40 minutes before he opens his bedroom door is bored. That is to say, he is not living. And I would agree. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. This is your boy, Lowe Jackson. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following. But remember, at the start, those 90 nocturnal minutes, thrice a week, must be the most important minutes in the 10,080. They must be uh, sacred, quite as sacred as a dramatic rehearsal or a tennis match. Instead of saying, sorry, I can't see you, old chap, but I have to run off to the tennis club, you must say, but I have to work. This, I admit, is intense, difficult to say. Tennis is so much more urgent than the immortal soul. Remember human nature. I have incidentally mentioned the vast expanse of 40 four hours between leaving business at 2 p.m. on Saturday and returning to business at 10 a.m. on Monday and here much, uh, excuse me, here I must touch on the point whether the week should consist of six days or even seven. For many years, in fact, until I was approaching 40, my own week consisted of seven days. I was constantly being informed by older and wiser people that the More work more genuine living could be got out of six days than of seven And it is certainly true that now with one day in seven in which I follow no program and make no effort Save the caprice of the moment dictates. I appreciate intensely the moral value of a weekly rest nevertheless had I my life to arrange over again, I would do again as I have done. Only those who live, oh excuse me, only those who have lived at the full stretch, seven days a week for a long time can appreciate the full beauty of a regular reoccurring idleness. Moreover, I am aging, and it is a question of age. In case of abounding youth, and exceptional energy, and desire for effort, I should say unhesitatingly Keep going, day in and day out. But if the average case, I should say, confine your formal program, super program, I mean, to to six days a week. If you find yourself wishing to extend it, extend it, but only in proportion to your wish. And count the time extra as a windfall, not as regular income, as that you can return to a six-day program without the sensation of being poor of being a backslider or whatever you may think of at that time let us now see where we stand so far we have marked for saving out of the waste of days half an hour or at least on six mornings a week and one hour and a half on three evenings a week total seven hours and a half a week. I propose to be content with the seven hours and a half for the present. What? You cry? You pretend to show us how to live, and you only deal with seven hours and a half out of 168. Are you willing to perform a miracle with your seven hours and a half? Well, not to mince the matter. I am if you will kindly let me. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this. I thought this was a great read. You should go out and find it. Check it out. Read it. How to live on a 24-hour day. That is to say, I am going to ask you to attempt an experience which, while perfectly natural and... uh, I lost my place. Sorry, guys. And explicable, has all the air of a miracle. My contention is that the full use of those seven and a half hours will quicken the whole life of the week, add zest to it, and increase the interest which you feel in even the most banal occupations. And right now, you guys, another reason why I wanted to share this book with you was because I'm working seven days a week right now, and I'm enjoying it. It ain't really killing me. But my mind has been conformed that I should have the weekends off, so I I can tell you this from my own personal experience that this is so true, and I know you guys out there have felt that way too, that, you know, like, oh, I need, you know, I work Saturday, so I gotta have Sunday off, or, oh, I work Saturday, so I'm sleeping in on Sunday and not going to church, or, you know, you just, things happen, you know, but you got to find a way to dig deep. You got to find a way to say, I can, I will, I must. And repeat that saying. If you repeat that every single day for 365 days a year, I can, I will, I must, you will, you can, and you are going to. And I found this read to be really great. And Finding ways to change my way of thinking about work and the weekends, and um, how it how I'm affected by not having that one day off. In which I am, and I know you all are too. For those that are working, sometimes you know you have to double back. You know, work all the way back to 13 days, and you get one day off on the 14th day. It can be done. I mean, Dr. Dre he said he stayed up for 72 hours one time mixing a CD. You know Elon Musk says that he's stayed up for like 4 days straight not sleeping at all. You know it can be done, but it takes serious mind conformment and serious willpower and only you possess those tools to give yourself that kind of gumption to give you that your to give yourself that kind of drive or dictation in your life that you are enough. There's nobody out there that cares for you as much as you're going to care for yourself. And nobody's ever going to believe you as much as you believe yourself. The words come out of your mouth and they enter back through your ears. That's why it's so hard for some people to step back and do a reflection of themselves and how they're acting. Because they don't have that mindset, you know... And you got to just dig deep to be able to work seven days a week and realize that you can do it. It can be done, and it's okay. It doesn't mean that life's going to end because you're having to work seven days a week. Um, inflation right now, we all have to work seven days a week, no matter who you are. No matter in, in like the Some of the rich of the rich who or even thought that they were rich, they're working seven days a week too. But they've probably got, you know, programs to where they're making it work and they're doing it and they're loving it. You know, I started really retraining my mind this past year and recently even too, that it's okay I only got three hours of sleep. I don't have to be grouchy and upset and mad at people because, you know, my body's or my mental status is causing me to be upset and angry because I'm in charge of those emotions. Um, I need to put those emotions in check. Hey, you know, there's room for growth here, you know, unless you're totally closed off from yourself, in which, that's got to be a nightmare. (laughs) But truthfully, dig deep and remember, I can, I will, I must. And I honestly got that saying from Eric Thomas, ET, He's a great motivational speaker. Um, I find I Can, I Will, I Must was a great help to me. I find that thinking about having three hours of sleep is no big deal and it's okay and that I'm going to be the best I can be for that day. And that's all any of us can do is try our best, you know, and don't beat ourselves down and don't let um, our negative upbringing force us into mental parameters that we don't have to be in because we're in charge of this life. You know, that's what our parents didn't teach us is that, you know what? You're in charge of yourself. Mom and dad don't have you on a leash like a little dog and they're in charge of you. No, that's your life. That's your heart. That's your soul. That's your love. You know, it's all up to you to feed the good wolf or the bad wolf inside of you. It is up to you to realize that, you know, you can use those 24 hours in a day to really honestly dig deep and be somebody that you weren't yesterday or to help somebody you know that's struggling, you know, be a little bit more compassionate because you never know who doesn't have 24 hours left. And you never know if you have 24 hours left. So if you're going to be bringing hate up into the world and upsetting your fellow counterparts, remember that everything in life isn't always cut and dry. You have have what it takes inside of you to be something different and to choose a different way. Thank you for listening to the Only You podcast, and this has been a great, great read. Thank you guys for following me, and thank you for listening, and please subscribe to my channel.